Thank you for downloading or podcasting this track. This recording has been remastered to provide the best sound possible given the audio environment of the original recording session. Mosaic Silver Spring is a faith community located just inside the Capitol Beltway in Montgomery County. For more information, please visit our website, www.mosaicsilverspring.org, and we'll see you in the neighborhood. I'm reading from Isaiah chapter 9, the first seven verses. But there, excuse me. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulon and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff for his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the tramping warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, we thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that as David, as um, Joel preaches your word today, that the light of it will shine into the deepest and darkest areas of each life in this room. And we just pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thanks so much, Sarah. Uh, over the past number of weeks, uh, the World Chess Championship has been uh, taking place. Uh, I don't know how many of you are chess fans and have been adjusting your clocks to Dubai time in order to uh, wake up and follow live what's happening uh, as the chess champion Magnus Carlsen was taking on Jan uh, in this chess battle over 14 games, and the games lasted hours. So if you go back and watch uh, these matches, each one could be up to like six or eight hours, uh, just a massive amount of time. And one of the things that struck me, uh, you should know this, I like chess. Uh, so I, I didn't watch all of the matches, but I followed what was going on. And one of the things that struck me is some of the beauty of chess is that it is both simple and incredibly complex. And, and so you could take a child who knows nothing at all about chess, and you could show them. Basically, you have uh, two opponents playing one another. 
They uh, try to capture each other's pieces, and they try to do that through some strategy to move across the board, and it's as simple as that. Here's how the pieces move. Go for it. And oftentimes when I watch these grandmasters playing chess, these uh, people, women and men who have played chess uh, for years and years and years, they have memorized uh, historical moves. They know what the computer's guidance is to the nth degree in every sort of board setup. One of the things that I was reminded of is that oftentimes we can look at life uh, in simple ways with the basics of the rules and our own circumstances, but that much like how uh, people who have played chess, much like the world chess champions, look at the board differently than I would or maybe you would. They look at the board thinking uh, six to eight moves down the road. They look at the board taking into account space and diagonals and files to try to figure out how this strategy is going to play out. They're thinking way in advance in ways that I have no idea or conception of. The same is true often in our own lives. It is in the midst of a global pandemic, in the midst of uh, holidays that can bring with it reminders of relational and interpersonal strife, in the midst of a season that may be darker or more lonely or more difficult for you, it can be very tempting to just look at those circumstances in a simple way and think, man, this game is going nowhere. But Isaiah reminds us during this season of Advent that God looks at the board of our lives differently than we often factor. And so over 2,000 years, Christians during the season of Advent, during difficult times, Take a moment and remind ourselves that God looks at the board of our lives differently than we do. He sees beyond just our immediate circumstances. He sees beyond just the conflict of our current moment. God, who knows all of history and knows all of history yet to come or be made, that God looks at the board of our lives and our world differently. And that can give us hope as Christians, where when we think through our circumstances, and I don't mean to make uh, light of them or to push them to the side, our difficulties in our current cultural moment, for many of us in our own individual lives, certainly globally, when it comes to fighting the pandemic, we are in a tough spot. And you can look at those things in this simple way and just say, it doesn't look really good for us. My hope for you this Advent season and even today is that you are reminded that God looks at the board of our lives and of our world differently. And that because he does, that gives us hope. Because he sees beyond the immediacy of our own circumstances, when he pronounces that he will make good on his promises, that means something to us. It doesn't always change our immediate circumstances, but we can say, oh, okay, 
So I see these things, but God declares for us that he sees farther. That is what is happening in the book of Isaiah. In the opening chapters of Isaiah, if I can continue that illustration or metaphor, uh, what's going on is that uh, the people of God have given up some of their pawns, so to speak, uh, through their own unfaithfulness. And because of their idolatry and their choices of what they're doing with their lives, uh, they have lost a bishop here and a rook there, and they've landed themselves in a position where you look at the board and you just go, this is not good. In the end of chapter 8, it says, they will look at the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they will be thrust into thick darkness." That's the picture of the circumstances that the people of God are facing in that moment. But God looks at the board of his redemptive work differently. And so as we roll into chapter 9, there's this lingering question for them and for us. Will God leave us to our circumstances in darkness? Is this all that we are left with? Or is there more? Be encouraged, friends. There's more. That's where Isaiah goes into chapter 9. And we're going to look at that together uh, in two points this morning. Surprising strategy and saving son. So uh, the people have been in the context of a war. They have been losing ground. Uh, They are wondering, is this all that we are left to win? Will change come? And as it gets unpacked, they begin to get a sense of God's promises. The people who walked in darkness, in verse 2, have seen a great light. Those who have dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shined. And I want to make a quick note, particularly for those of you who pay close attention to grammar. In uh, the language here, this is being talked about in the past tense. But uh, they're still in darkness. And so what's happening here? I think this dynamic is that this poetic section, this small poem at the start of Isaiah 9, is speaking in past tense of what God will do as a way to communicate to the people divine certainty. How can you be reminded that God sees the board of your lives and the board of history differently than we do? He can talk about things in the future as if they're in the past. I think that's what's happening here when he talks about this light that has shown up. When he talks about the light that has shined on them. He talks about breaking the tools of warfare in verses 4 and 5. The rod of the oppressor, just like in the day of Midian. Every boot of the trampling warrior, the garments will be burned. It's these tools of a battle fought and won by the Lord. Those tools being cast away or burned on the side because they're no longer necessary. 
In our culture and uh, in our current moment, oftentimes when you think of a great victory in the midst of darkness, uh, we think, well, how is this going to happen? How will God accomplish this? And we think about either some masterful political maneuvering or some technological advantage that hasn't been invented yet or some powerful army that will just roll through and take care of it. But here, the surprising strategy that gets announced in verse Six, how will God talk and do the things in the future that He can now speak of as in the past? God's plan is for a child to be born. That is a bit unexpected. We would like to see, uh, you know, a slide deck of uh, all of the maneuvering that's going to happen or the Excel or Google Docs spreadsheet uh, of how exactly these things are going to factor out together. Like, God, what are you doing? And, and God sends us like an ancient Near Eastern equivalent of like a birth announcement in the mail, right? And you start to open it up and you think, I don't, God, what, what are you doing here? That may be what the people in Isaiah's day thought. But this surprising strategy is how God chooses to bring about redemption. And so he says, how will he accomplish this? For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this poem, there are echoes to the story of Gideon in the book of Judges. And you can go back and read it later. But in that story, Gideon, with a G, is going to fight an army. And he is uh, way under uh, manned uh, in terms of taking on this huge army. But God says, trust me, I know what I'm doing. And it's God himself who actively brings about deliverance through Gideon in that story of Judges against the forces of evil. And so here, those echoes are coming about when this ancient Near Eastern birth announcement is made. It's almost as if in the poem, as it develops and reminds us of the story of Gideon, it prepares us for this announcement that it is a child through whom God will accomplish his deliverance. It prepares the ground for us a bit to understand that ultimately God accomplishes his redemption himself. That in our darkest moments, how can we trust that God is going to do something, that he's not going to just leave us here in the story of Scripture, in what we have contained in the Bible time and time again, God reminds us that the way in which he will overcome the darkness in our lives is he will enter in and bring light. He will meet us in our distressed moments. He will take our sin and what we, are, what we owe, and he will take it upon himself. The power of Advent is that it teaches us in the midst of those tensions to wait. Where we may think of resigning the game or trying something different or going at our own, we're encouraged to think about the way that God has given us his promises and will make good on them because he enters into the darkness with light. God is with us. And here he promises to send us a child to be born. 
This is the saving son. Now, when they first heard this, they may have thought, oh, well, this will be like a king, some king in the line of David, uh, maybe Hezekiah, maybe somebody else. This will be somebody who will come and use all those other things, some uh, political maneuvering, some military might, some technological advantage. And here, there is the sense that, uh, no, it is through someone different. So when... We see God entering into the darkness when we see him doing that through a child. When Jesus is born, the significance of that incarnate moment of God taking on humanity, the significance for you and for I is this is God making good on his promises. This is what the New Testament authors saw. This is what they encourage us to look at when we think of what's the significance of Jesus For the prophet Isaiah, why he didn't know Jesus' name, Jesus is the child that would have been off in the distance of what God is doing. Jesus is the present of what Isaiah spoke of as the past. Jesus is the child to be born, whose name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The arrival of Jesus, the Son, is the light into our darkness that takes on sin and death and meets us in the midst of our times of tension and waiting. Christian hope is uh, simple. Uh, It is that our battle with sin and death can't be won by us. We can't outmaneuver it politically. We can't, even with all the technology that we have, outdo it. We can't form an army big enough to conquer it. But that God loves you enough to take on your sin and to conquer death for you because he is gracious. The grace and love of God meets us in our dark moments and offers us the light of Jesus through faith. That is, quite simply, friends, the Christian hope. And with that light, it brings some freedom as we navigate out of darkness. It gives us freedom in the midst of our suffering and struggle to not give up, to not allow it to just burn us out, but to say, I believe because of the work of Jesus that God is doing something here. It gives us the freedom in our jobs or in our schools to take on new ventures or to try new things, even if we think we may not be good at them. Why? Because we don't have to please God with how great we are. God is not impressed with us. That's not how he takes care of sin and death. We don't achieve our way into good standing with God. We receive it through the work of Jesus Christ. And so God's grace meets us there and gives us freedom to try new things. It gives us freedom to enter into friendships across cultures. Even though we recognize we may not always have the vocabulary or understanding, even though we may misstep here or there, we can communicate with others across cultures with the freedom that we have in Jesus. Because if we mess up, we know that's not the end of us. We are secure because of the work of Jesus. Richard Pratt, a theologian, uh, years ago reminded a group of Christians who were looking at doing missions 
when uh, the work of missions that is going out into the world, whether locally or regionally or internationally, to share the news of uh, this saving son arriving to deal with sin and death, uh, in verse 7, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Here's what Pratt reminded us of then, and I think it's valuable to mention now. We may be used to a time and moment where everyone gets some sort of award for participating or where everyone uh, gets encouraged or complimented just for showing up. And uh, I'm not going to make a judgment here there on that. I'm just going to say we can often think of Christianity as like this participation medal. Uh, This thing that we get, like, hey, we just show up, we get the medal, and then that's kind of all that it is. And everyone who makes some attempt at faith, uh, they get a medal. Uh, Good job, way to go. They get some encouragement, a certificate, move on with your lives, and then that's why we do this thing. Verse 7 is a corrective to that type of thinking. Verse 7 is a bit bold, but it is the claim that now that the saving son has arrived, and this in verse 7 flips and speaks to the future of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The Christian hope is that God through his son, Jesus Christ, has accomplished an eternal victory over sin and death in a way that will not end, that does not expire, that is not merely a handout for exploring your faith. That's what Christianity is about. When Jesus declares that he is building his church and you have shown up and participated in a baptism and in prayer and in song and in hearing from God's word, you are participating actively in the work of the church where Jesus declared, I'm building that church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. It is this idea, not that some uh, particular culture uh, has the corner on Christianity. It doesn't work that way. But that across time, across circumstance, and across some very dark moments in our world, Jesus, by the power of his spirit, has upheld and held onto his people in a way that they are always redeemed. And that brings hope in the midst of our dark moments. That's the light that the news of God's gracious work through Jesus shines into our lives. It doesn't always remove our circumstances, but it helps us to put one foot after the other, recognizing that we're participating in God's work of redemption through Jesus because God sees his redemptive work in history in a way that we often miss. God sees his work through his son Jesus in ways that we don't always appreciate. We are encouraged that even when we may feel overwhelmed, that the walls are closing in on us, that God sees the board differently and announces through the resurrection of Jesus a lasting victory for us. So that in this season of Advent, as we start the fourth week, we can return 
to the work of Jesus. We can cling tightly through faith. We can remind and encourage one another, not in a trite way that you should all feel great, but that our hope is objectively rooted in the work of Christ. That we can continue to press forward with faith, hope, and love. That's what it looks like to wait as Christians, not only in a season of Advent, but through the ups and downs of our lives. Let me pray. God, I ask that you will watch over us. And I pray that you will help us as a community to look to you, even in the midst of our struggles. God, I pray that uh, we, even when we feel the heaviness of what we're going through, that by your Spirit, you will give us eyes to see and ears to hear the promises of Isaiah, the words of Jesus, the encouragement of Mosaic Silver Spring, that we may walk forward together in faith, hope, and love. We ask in your name, Jesus. Amen.